0: So we're into Daniel chapter 11 and 12. And if you don't, didn't bring a Bible with you, uh, you might try to find one on your iPhone or in the pew in front of you. <laughs> so take advantage of that. Let's pray. Father in heaven, when uh, Daniel was exposed to realities that crushed him because they were mighty and heavy, and he fell on his face before you. It was your hand and kindness and grace that picked him up. And, Lord, all of us need your grace to strengthen us so that we can live for you and that we can see what is true and learn it and then go to actually proclaiming it and teaching it, to live it, and to love it, and to teach it. Oh, Father. So that's what we're praying for even now. We acknowledge that without you, we can do nothing. Lord, would you help us to proclaim your greatness, that we could begin to think your thoughts after you, to begin to understand a bit more. And to be challenged on this day, the first day of this week, to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have a, a simple outline today. Prophecy, providence, and productivity. We're, like I said, we're coming to the end of, of the book of Daniel today. Chapter 11 and 12 and a bit of 9 and 10 and probably 8 as well. Great, great book. And I'm going to, like I said, we're going to sort of cherry pick in chapter 11 because I'd love you to read it uh, on, you know, whenever. Right now would be fine, whatever. It's really hard to read, it's very, very long and interesting. It's a prophecy, Uh, it's a prediction. And the reality is, it's actually stunning. In detail. It's, it's stunning predictions. Uh, unbelievable. It's a detailed account of what will happen in about 200 years from when Daniel wrote this. Uh, Daniel wrote it in roughly 500 AD, and he will be describing in chapter 11 uh, this back and forth of Alexander the Great's generals. You know, Alexander the Great had unbelievable success, and at 30 years old, he had conquered the world, and he was enjoying it a little too much. started to believe the press clippings, you know, you're great. And he was having massive, huge parties, and he was actually, strangely enough, he was in Babylon. Um, that's strange because that's, that's exactly where Uh, Belshazzar had his doom in a similar drunken party. Uh, Alexander the Great a couple of centuries later they said he he drank just gallons of wine. He might have been poisoned but it could have been just alcohol poisoning. Uh, The amount that he was drinking during that period of time he got sick and died. He was only 30 years old and didn't, didn't have children and so his four of course, at that age, they would have been really young, but his, his four major generals took over his whole world empire. And chapter 11, and again, we're not actually going to go through this. I'll tell you what it's about. Chapter 11 is a blow-by-blow, blow, 200 years in advance, a blow-by-blow blow account of what would happen. You know, at this stage in human history, They don't even know that the Greeks are going to rise to ascendancy. They don't know anything about the Macedonian kingdom of Philip and of of, uh, Alexander the Great. Uh, And here he specifically, he names the Greeks and then specifically blow by blow describes what's going to happen between particularly the Ptolemy was one of his generals and Seleucid. The Seleucids and the Ptolemies would fight over back and forth, back and forth, and that's what chapter 11 is about, over Palestine. It's these stunning predictions. Now if you follow news at all, you know that a couple of weeks ago uh, an American died who was very influential, his name was Pete Seeger, ah, the one musician in the group remembers, Pete Seeger. You may have heard, this land is your land, this land is my land. Come on, help me now, California. (laughs) Exactly. That song. (laughs) Yeah, little boxes, the uh, ticky-tacky, describing the homes in San Francisco along the ridge. Um, That's Pete Seeger. He died a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and he, I, so I was kind of poking around his little life history. And he had this quote, and I'm, I'm going to use it because he didn't mean it this way at all. <laughs> I'm going to turn it on its on side because I think he's right on. He says, Pete Seeger says, the key to the future of the world is finding optimistic stories and letting them be known. The key to the future of the world is finding optimistic stories and letting them be known. Now, the only optimistic story that counts ultimately is that Jesus Christ is the king of kings. <laughs> Jesus Christ wins. He has won. Yeah, yay, you know, you've heard the current political expression, don't be on the wrong side of history. And typically they mean therefore support gay marriage, right? Well, let's turn that on the side too. You better not be on the wrong side of history. And I'll tell you what the right side of history is it's Jesus Christ. He's the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Lord of all time. He is Yahweh. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit exist as God. What do we mean by the name above all names? Jesus. He is to be worshiped all time, all space, forever. He's the King. The self-existing Creator God, the source of all, the ground of all being, Jesus holds the molecules together in this wooden pulpit. It's his conscious thought. This doesn't even exist. There is no spoon. It's actually true. (laughs) It's a reference to a movie called The Matrix. We live in a matrix that is God. I mean, the Bible says in him we live and move and have our being. You, you don't exist. When God says, I am, he exists. We can't say that in, with the same meaning. I don't self-exist. I'm derived and dependent. So it's a massive, huge idea. And so the Bible says, don't be on the wrong side of history. Don't bet that God is doesn't exist. Don't bet that the Bible is not true. Don't line up your life with that side because you will lose. I love little political weirdnesses. We've been watching the Olympics. Uh, We actually love the Olympics too. And some of you are—I I know there's some Koreans. We have a Hans, are Korean family. Um, are you naturalized citizens yet? Oh, <laughs> you're embarrassed that I point them out. Very, very Korean to be embarrassed, right? <laughs> um, let me say this word: Victor An. Victor An. Who's Victor An? Well, he's a Russian. He won a couple of golds in the Winter Olympics on short track racing. That is awesome. Have you seen that short track racing? Did you see him win? He was amazing, just dominating. In fact, one of the races, he, he purposely waited for all the other skaters to leave. He was there for, you know, half a fraction of a second later than there. And he's just playing in the background. <laughs> Wins that race. That was amazing. Now, Victor Ahn is interesting because he's a Russian who defected from South Korea. He's like, say what? (laughs) You left your citizenship of South Korea to become a Russian? I mean, you know, we we love Russians. (laughs) But uh, this is unusual, you know? Could it, you know, people are asking me, after he wins the two gold medals, first questions at the news conference, much did Russia pay you? <laughs> oh, nothing, nothing at all. Um, but in this process, Victor uh, renamed himself, and he chose the name Victor. Okay, I like that name, Victor. I had an uncle, Victor, Victor Wren. It's a good name. You know, nobody ever calls their son loser. <laughs> he didn't choose the word. <laughs> loser on, I know, he chose the word victor, right, and I I just want to say this again, Jesus Christ is the victor, he has won, that's the good news, Pete Seeger, the key to the future of the world is finding optimistic stories, and letting them be known, and in a way, that's what we have, in a very real way, that's what we have in Daniel. Daniel 9.24 for example Daniel 9.24 is a summary and we always get hooked up uh, uh, hooked hooked on, tripped on Uh, the first two words 70 weeks Okay, 70 weeks, yeah but read the whole verse Daniel 9.24 70 weeks are decreed I'm going to preach on that word a little bit today It's one of my favorite Bible words. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, the Hebrews and Jerusalem. The Bible will tell us, by the way, that we have come to that holy city. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God. Hallelujah. We don't come to a dead God. We don't come to a loser God. We come to the victor God, dear friends. He has won. That's optimistic. You have come to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled. Their names are written. Who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and all yeah he's the judge of all what about those people who don't believe in him right? he's their judge too they're gonna to have a rude awakening the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect this is a great little it's basically poetry it's delicious and wonderful hebrews 12 22 through 24 and to jesus this is what we've come to. We've come to Jesus, the mediator, the, the mediator. That's Reformed theology right there. The mediator between God and man. He, he is salvation. You don't need, you don't need? You can't have any other mediator. And you add to Jesus, you say, well, he needs a little help from you know, some, some dead Christians. And, and he needs some help from his mother. No, that's blasphemous. You know, get rid of that garbage. It's wrong, it's sinful, because it, it, you're you're degrading who Jesus is. Is he the victor? Or does he I get by with a little help from my friends? You know, no. <laughs> he is he's overall. He, we've come to Jesus, nothing else to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. So I'm reading uh, Daniel 9.24. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, and to atone for iniquity. God is going to absolutely obliterate the thing that keeps us away from himself. And that is his own judgment and condemnation and wrath on our sins. Uh, I I love, I've been listening to uh, R.C. Sproul quite a bit recently and he says, it's kind of tweaky but hear it out. He says, you know what we're saved from? What does R.C. Sproul say? We're saved from God. That's true. We're saved from the wrath of God. It's part of who He is. It's part of His nature. He must judge sin. And so, He saves us from His own wrath. And that's what this is saying. I'm going to do this in 70 weeks. It's decreed. I'm going to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness. There will be a day. This is optimism. There will be a day of everlasting righteousness. It'll be forever and ever in perfection and wonder and worship and fulfillment and you'll be home in my Father's house. Everlasting righteousness to to seal both vision and prophet and to anoint a most holy place. Now, what we have here in... Uh, Daniel chapter 11 and 12, is we have very typical prophecy. He's prophesying. That's the, the verb. and He produces prophecy. And this is the prophecy. It's, it's very typical. He describes a whole lot of details, but it's, it's telescopic. You know, he's standing, say, like he, he gets on top of this, the coastal range of California, and it's a clear day and he's got a telescope, and he's looking toward the Sierras. Now, if you do that, you know, you'll you'll see some snow today, Um, but, you know, there's a lot of undulation and foothills and valleys and farms and families and cities that you won't even see necessarily because they're tucked away in little valleys that get up to those big, beautiful peaks, of of the Sierras and that's a telescopic view of the future and that's what we have here. Daniel 11 is primarily detailed, literal uh, prophecy about what's going to happen in the next couple hundred years for Daniel but then toward the end he starts getting into something a little bit deeper and into chapter 12 as well so let me read that. Let's look at um, uh, let's see here I want to look at Daniel 11, and we're putting in about verse 29. It says, uh, I'm going to read just a little bit here. It can be kind of confusing, but just follow along. It says, at the time appointed, just notice that, this is the sovereign will of God. At the time appointed, at just the right time. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south. But it shall not be this time as it was before. This is some great leader. This is probably Antiochus Epiphanes of uh, the Greek Empire. For ships of Kittim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the Holy Covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the Holy Covenant forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. See, now we have a big telescope happening right there. This is really going to happen in a couple hundred years. A Greek leader named Antiochus and he took on the name Epiphanes, which means the appearance which means I am God. I have appeared. I've been revealed. Aren't I great? Antiochus the Fourth Epiphanes. Uh, but there's something going on here because Jesus in Mark 13 tells us in the future that when you see the abomination of des- desolation entering the temple, know that the end is near. So there's this like hump and a hill and a beyond, and two things are meant by this. And it telescopes into the future, and so we have this antichrist, this great individual who will play havoc in the kingdom of God, apparently in a future time. He is pictured here as well. Let me read a little bit more. Uh, that was verse 31. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Okay. I think most of you know this, but this is what really happened. A couple hundred years after he said that, this guy, Ant- Antiochus Epiphanes, came into the temple in Jerusalem and uh, hated the Jews so much. He was so angry with the Jews that he sacrificed pigs on the altar, which was an absolute blasphemous, horrible thing, right? He desecrated it and made it an it abomination to God. and He did it just to show his power. His, his defiance toward God. And, and Jesus is saying, that same kind of defiance is going to happen. Like I said, that's in Mark 13. Okay, verse 32. He shall seduce with, with flattery those who violate the covenant. So there's these folks who say they are a part of God's people, but they have been violating the covenant. Uh, See, in verse 30, they forsake the Holy Covenant. And this strong individual, he's going to seduce these people. He's going to win them over, these false disciples. He's going to win them over um, to his side. Let's see, uh, that's verse uh, 32. He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. These are godly servants who are doing God's will, will suffer amazing persecution During this time. In verse 34. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help. And many shall join themselves to them with flattery. So there's this population of phony believers who come alongside them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the end of the time. For it still awaits the appointed time. That's my uh, title right there. It, for it still awaits the appointed time. God's future is coming. This is an optimistic story. He ultimately wins. Between the winning and now, there's a lot of difficulty and suffering and struggle all along the way. Um, then look at uh let's see i'm going to read a little bit into chapter 12 now just verse 1 and following at that time shall arise michael this is the angel michael the great prince who has charge of your people so this is where we get i preached on this a little bit last week Uh, it's a lot of mystery we don't fully understand this but apparently um, The angels, and even the demons, exist in a hierarchy. We don't know a lot about this. We're not supposed to know a lot about this, but he does let us know some of it. You know, we wrestle not against uh, flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and and in Ephesians there that I read last week. And so here's Michael. Michael is the archangel. He's named that. He's the only one named uh, as the archangel in the Bible. And he is the great prince who has charge of your people. He's the one who has uh, control over God's people, which is kind of nice. Uh, we get the strongest angel, <laughs> it's rather reassuring. Uh, it's certainly the Jews, but it's probably all of God's people uh, for all time uh, those that are, have come to the city of the living God. Let me read. This, this is the good stuff here. So Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. Now this is telescopic, once again. The the description for Daniel is, yes, restoration is coming, but there's going to be a great deal of trouble. And the trouble will continue till the very end. And now he's describing a time of trouble that has never been uh, since there was a nation, until that time. The worst time of trouble ever is, is still to come. You know, this couldn't be talking uh, about something that happened in 300 BC or 150 AD BC. It, it's bigger than that, it seems bigger than that, the way it is described. And, and look further in the text to show you that. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. There's that sovereignty again. Um, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. This is a reference to the resurrection. At that time of the end, there'll be a great resurrection. Uh, People will come, it says, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. There's, the truth is, every human being who ever lived will be raised. And you'll be re- reconnected with your body. That's, that's in John chapter 5 and various other places in the Bible. It's not just for uh, God's people. It's for everybody. Every, they're all raised. And then after this, there is a division. You'll, you're raised to, uh, it says, some to everlasting life and some to shame and not annihilation. That's not what the Bible teaches. It says that they go to everlasting contempt. I don't say that lightly. I don't say that with glee or glibly. But that's the reality. The Bible is very clear that hell is not annihilation. It is everlasting contempt. And I just throw out references. Read John chapter 5. It's all very clear uh, right there in the three-hour version of this message. I go to all of those things and read them. <laughs> that never happens. <laughs> okay. So that's some cool information. And I said there's some telescopic things going on here. Daniel, this is going to happen. 70 weeks. Okay, let's start the clock. He's clearly talking probably about year periods, and we don't know. And There's a lot of mystery on that. I, I've studied it quite a bit, and none of the... Ways to understand it are totally clear, are totally dogmatically sustainable uh, in the Bible. I I don't think so. In other words, let's just be humble about it and say, okay, Lord, it's in your hands. Uh, This is an optimistic story. You win, we trust you, and uh, we're going to go with that. That's the prophecy. Stunning predictions. Uh, It's all planned and decreed, we just sang the song, You are highly exalted. Why do we worship Him? He is the God of all, of all time and space. It is decreed. Look at that word in chapter 11, verse 36. It says, very end, For what is decreed shall be done. This is the decree of God. It's how He has predetermined Everything to take place. It's. It, I, we, I talked about God is different than us. Yes, he is. He's completely different. Excuse me a second. He's bigger than we can ever imagine. He's bigger than we can understand. I mean, you know, let's fact check here. Hold on a second. You want a God you can understand? I mean... We'll never understand God. You'll never understand the nature fully of God. He's bigger and more massive. He creates this whole reality with contingency and possibility and will and choice. At the same time, he's decreed everything that will happen. Yeah, we'll go figure that out. You can't. It's phenomenal and beautiful and wonderful. That's why we worship him. He's holy other and he loves us and he saved us um, let me look at a few of these references I'll run this down a little bit 924 I already camped on this one a little bit 70 weeks are decreed I have an exact plan it is decreed uh, 926 it says at very end desolations are decreed they are planned they are Perfectly in my plan, desecration, the abomination of desolation—it's decreed. It's a choice of God. And, and, and again, okay, if you like the word "allowed," it, you know, maybe it works in in, in casual conversation, and, and it's okay. It's kind of like butter. You know, I love butter. <laughs> I mean, it might make it taste a little bit better. But the reality is, that's not a really biblical concept of who God is. He didn't just allow this stuff to happen, like, oh, well, okay, you let that happen. That's not the way the Bible de- uh, describes him. He has decreed this, he decided ahead of time. Desolations are decreed. Verse 27 um, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. This is the, uh, the telescope of Antiochus Epiphanes and probably the Antichrist too. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate. What's that say? Until the decree, the decreed end. End is poured out on the desolator. Desolations are decreed. That's what it says there in verse 26. And the end of the desolations are decreed. There's nothing
1: that escapes the
0: decree of God. If it did, it wouldn't exist. It's a logical impossibility. Because he's the only source of creation and reality. And then uh, 12.1 At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince, who has charge over your people, and there shall be a time of trouble. I read this already, but it's worth reviewing. Such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. That's the optimistic story, Pete Seeger. We're going to tell that. We want that to be known, that there is salvation from this certain... uh, dismal end. At the time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book." And that's the sovereignty of God. Uh, it, we marvel at this, we don't fully understand it, but it's the ultimate reality of, of the way he operates his world. He, he's written the names in the book. If you uh, look that up, for some of there's several interesting little passages, that teach this, and here's a couple of them. Revelation 13 8. It says, And all who dwell on earth will worship it, worship it. This is a false God. Everyone whose name was not written before the foundation of the world, in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. That's 138. And here's Revelation 17:8, very similar expression. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to rise from the bottomless pit and go to destruction. And the dwellers on earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will marvel to see the beast because it was and is not and is to come. There's a book of life it's God's sovereign will. We're saved by a choice of God. We're born by His choice. Come to Him. Believe. The Bible says believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He can save you. He's the victor. It is planned and decreed. Here, let me get through my slides here. Telescoping into the future. It is planned and decreed. What is chaotic and troublesome is God's purpose. See, now our, our world, our secular world, and on TED Talks, etc., you're going to find people that say, because it's uh, chaotic and troublesome, there can't be a God. And, and we should just smile and say, He laughs at them from, from heaven. He has a plan that's bigger and better than you will ever understand. He is the weaver of the eternal tapestry. <laughs> And you were looking at it from underneath, saying, wow, there can't be a weaver. It's too much black thread. No good weaver would use that color here. It's random. And no, that is not true. What is chaotic and troublesome, it's God's purpose. It is decreed at the appointed time. This happens exactly like I planned it. Ephesians 1.11, he's the one who works all things after the counsel of his own will.